Will you turn with me, please, to Mark's Gospel? Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Mark, chapter 4, please. Now, this morning we're going to look in another part of our series on sword fencing with the devil. Sword fencing with the devil. And this is part three. Uh, I apologize, there's been two weeks where we have had to skip from part two uh, to this morning because of uh, just the tent mission that we were at and Aaron was speaking for me. Um, We were blessed at the meetings and Daniel spoke one of the evenings as well and we were blessed at that. And I really just needed that break while I preached all those nights and afternoons and I was just... Uh, glad that these men could stand in for me. So the Lord bless you for that. And I apologize that this is such a gap. But this morning I'll do a little brief, just little uh, uh, brief recap of where we were. Then I want to look at, continue from the spiritual warfare of it. And we'll see how the Lord leads us. And unfortunately it's going to be another couple of weeks until we get back to it again. There's so many points I want to bring out. There's 12 in total. And we're just touching the first one after three weeks. So this morning, uh, bear with me. Mark's gospel, uh, pardon me, Matthew's gospel, chapter 4, beginning to read it in verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the devil leaveth him. And behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. We have looked at how the Lord was here, it says, led up after his baptism, led up into the wilderness. And of course, the other accounts in the Synoptic Gospels is not only Matthew 4, but Luke 4 and Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 gives us little about this, but gives us something different. He tells us Jesus was with the wild beasts and he was alone. So when we, when we think of putting these together as we've been welding or gelding or bringing these together, we've been piecing what has happened in the wilderness when Christ, after his baptism, was tempted off the devil or 
Some say he was tried. Nevertheless, we're told he was tempted in all points, yet like as we are with like as we are yet without sin. So it matters not that he was tempted. He knows exactly what it's like when you're tempted. And how Christ deals with this is an example of how you and I should deal with our temptations, with our trials, in different stages of our walk and of our life, different ways that we could be thinking or feeling. And of course, Jesus is 40 days and 40 nights hungry, tired. You can imagine without food, and the elements of the wilderness, cold at night, warm during the day. You can imagine him sitting there with the, his coral pulled up over his head to keep himself warm, hungry, emaciated because he hasn't had food for 40 days. And the old devil likes to come when you're at your weakest, doesn't he? You can be assured that the devil doesn't come to you because he loves you, but he'll come to you to destroy you. The wonderful thing is, is that those of us who are saved, we have the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God, and we have the Spirit of the Lord within us. And so when we look with, by the Spirit through the Word, you and I should be able to defeat the devil on every term and on everything. If we apply the Word of God to our lives, and if we apply the Word of God to our hearts, if we apply it to our circumstances and situations. You see, Matthew said he was led up of the Spirit. And then, of course, we're told in Mark's account, he was driven by the Spirit. Now, we looked at the words there and what it meant, and they don't, uh, they don't contradict one another. Jesus, in his mind, was overtaken, as it were, yielded completely to the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness. And I'm grateful that he did for the reason being we're able to learn from this these last few weeks. So we want to look a little more. I can't go into uh, much more uh, on that because we've already done it. But you notice that we're told in Luke's account of chapter 4 that he is called the devil. Now, some people say that he came, that these were Pharisees and through the Pharisees, these temptations came because of the temple. That may be so. That may be so. You see, there's a spiritual warfare and there's a spiritual battle and God uses people. God uses people and the devil uses people. The devil can put it on someone's heart and mind who's not walking right even with God to say the wrong thing, to do the wrong thing on you, toward you. And it's how you read that and deal with that according to Scripture is how you will get the victory over that. If you look while you're in Matthew's gospel, just flick over to Matthew chapter 16, please. So spiritual, the, the war has been won. The devil is defeated, but it's you and I learning that he is. Does that make sense to you? It's you and I learning that Christ has already won the war, but there are battles in between, and you and I need to learn how to do that according to the word of God. So in Matthew chapter 16, this is a well-known portion of Scripture. We haven't time to read it all, but when you read, Jesus says unto his disciples, you let your eye run down to verse 13, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And we know what the, the reply is. Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, or that is Elijah, or others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. That's what they're saying. Jesus says, but whom say ye that I am? He takes a general consensus of the populace. And then he says, personally, he says, who do you say I am? 
And they come back to him, they say, or uh, Simon Peter, pardon me, comes back to him and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers, verse 17, and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Notice here, God shows him, the Father gives him a revelation of who Christ is. And the rock is not Peter, but the revelation of Christ and who he is. Peter wasn't the first pope. Make that clear. Peter wasn't the first pope. In fact, Peter writing, either if Peter was in Rome, he calls it Babylon, for he writes in his letters, I'm writing from Babylon, or else he was in literal Babylon, calling it Babylon, one of the two. He wasn't the first pope. But notice here, he has a revelation of Jesus Christ. And because of that revelation, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, shall not prevail against it. Even death itself in the early Christians and right up through time, you see, even from the, the early Christian church, right through even to the Reformation, and when those seen that the just shall live by faith, they lived because they realized they had that experience of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and who he is is the Almighty in flesh. And so their lives were worth giving for Christ. But notice this. When we get here, you've got the keys. Pray. And what you bound on earth will be bound in heaven and heaven on earth. But look at the same chapter. Listen to what we read. Verse 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed. Notice, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Notice Peter. Straight after this. Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Notice the reply of Christ. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Right after what he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock of the revelation of me. So you can see that the church, as in whether it's the Roman church or any church, is not built upon Peter. He failed at the first hurdle. He's failed at the first hurdle. Lord, you're not going to go to Jerusalem to die. Be it far from thee, Lord. The Lord says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now he was speaking to Peter, but yet not Peter himself but the Spirit behind it. So one minute he's used by the Holy Spirit to say thou art the Christ. The next minute he's used by the Spirit being called the devil, Satan himself, what for? To say you're not going to go to the cross. Doesn't it show you, brothers and sisters, we can't trust our own emotions? You cannot trust your own emotions. And every day now in church all over, it's, you know, find your inner self. Love your own self first. Be in love with yourself. Friend, you can't trust your own heart. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Not one of us knows our own heart. I, the Lord, he says, search the heart and I try the reins. Only God will even know the fullness of our own hearts. And sometimes even as believers, we might be trying our best and walking with the Lord and we have had revelation and we have had spiritual gifting and we have had preaching ability and one minute we are so there with Christ. We are so in touch and in tune with the Spirit and the next minute you're living like a devil. Acting like a devil. Talking like a devil. Doubting like a devil. Should not be so. We need to get the victory over everything that comes from Satan. We need to get the victory, friend. You need to get the victory in your life over every temptation that he brings to you. We need to be walking in the newness of life that Paul tells us of. We need to be walking in victory over the things that he comes to you with. And learning from the very precepts of the Word of God, learning from the very example of Christ Himself. There's no greater example. It's no good. Look, we're all human. All of us. We're all failures. Yes, we are. But it's no good, brothers and sisters, falling at the same thing time and time and time again. You know what you're doing? You're going round and round the mountain. You know, we can turn around and say, yes, we're under grace. And we are saved by sovereign grace. We are under grace. We are forgiven. We are washed in the blood. But that, look, as my old pastor used to say, you can't live wrong and die right. Does that make sense? You cannot live wrong and die right. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes in, now listen. When the Holy Spirit comes into a heart, into a life, into a mind, then the devil goes out. But if you give him a foothold in the flesh, if you give him a foothold to make you doubt, he may just play you like a puppet on a string. Peter here, oh, you're not going to the cross and you're not going to Jerusalem. He came for that very reason. Do you see the difference between the spirit and the flesh here? And, the, and the, 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 the will of the Father and the will of Satan? So that's Whenever we see these things, surely we must see there is a spiritual warfare going on. And to say, you know, you know how I know I'm saved? Because every time I fall and every time I do that, some, that same thing and every time I get on that same way, well, you know what? I just get up again and go on with God. Isn't that great? Because I wouldn't even think like that. You know what? Let me put it this way to you. Do you know how you're saved when you don't do it? That's right. On a continual manner, a habitual manner of sinning. When you don't go round the mountain, but you learn from the experience. That's how you know you're saved. Does that make sense? Learning from the experience. Defeating, and it might take a time or two, but there are people walk in a habitual sense of sin and say it's all about grace. No, it isn't. It's about you not obeying the scripture and the word of God. It's about you not coming on there. And me, all of us who do so, it's about us not obeying the word of the Lord. Yielding ourselves, yielding our hearts, yielding our spirits unto what the word of God says. Well, I can go and live like that and God will forgive me. Yeah, he, may. he may do so. 
but you'll do nothing in God and you'll go nowhere with him. Notice this. When we go back to Matthew chapter 4, please. And without you turning it, I had mentioned Luke 4. Let me just, I had mentioned this and don't want to go into a full recap of it. But Luke 4, as well as in other places, he's called the devil, who is Diabolos. It's where we get our word diabolical from, the diabolical one. Can I ask you a question? Many times you're going to give your life over to the diabolical one. How many times would you yield yourself to the diabolical one? See, God, God in his word through the spirit tells us how we should live. And what happens is we turn into having a row with the Lord, wrestle with him and we fight. And then we fall out with God and we run to the devil to say, well, you know what? It was just so hard for me. And we yield ourselves to the diabolos, the devil, the diabolical one. And in Luke chapter 4 and 3, he's called the devil. The diab- he's the slanderer, it means, the diabolos. He slanders. And then in Luke 4 and 6, he says, All this will I give thee, and he's the seducer. He'll seduce you. And then 4 and 9, he says, Cast thyself down, and he's the suggester. He suggests things to you. So how do we defeat him? We have looked at it, Ephesians 6 and 17, with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Jesus takes the sword of the Spirit in the wilderness, and this is what he does. He uses Deuteronomy 8 and 3, Deuteronomy 6 and 16, and he uses Deuteronomy 6 and 13. And he slices, slices, and comes in with the three scriptures back to the devil. So spiritually speaking, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, spiritual wickedness in governments, spiritual wickedness in uh, even places where you live and things you do, and spiritual wickedness everywhere. We must learn to live separated, different lives. Look at... Let me read it to you instead of you turning again, because I meant to read this. In Matthew 16, if you want, you can flick there briefly. But after Jesus rebukes Peter and Satan by deploying Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offence unto me, for thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Am I speaking to you in sometimes... We're all, look, I'm not standing here hand almighty. I'm a man of flesh. I'm a, I'm a man who feels. And before I was saved, I was the chiefest of all sinners. That's what I call myself because of my lifestyle. But here we find that the Lord says unto him, you're serving the things not of God, but of men. Is there something in our lives that we need to check? We need to look and examine and say, that's not of God, but it's what I like. Or that's my attitude, and that's what I want to do, never mind God. Or it's how my heart feels, never mind the heart that's cheating you. What about the heart of God through his word? We need to examine ourselves and say, is this God or is this me? Or even is it the devil playing me? 
Look what he says in verse 24. After all of this, then Jesus saith unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Now, what part of that in modern day, um, if I can call it preaching, do you hear, you know what, you have to love yourself first? That's idolatry. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. That's one of the ones that Satan comes with. You don't love yourself first, you love the Lord first. Deny yourself, the Bible says. Deny yourself. Notice, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The cross is something that's difficult, strenuous, hard, agonizing. So it's not easy for us. Take your cross up, but Lord, it's going to be hard. Is it what you want is what I want, the Lord says. Is it your will to be done or my will to be done? But Lord, it's hard. What's the difference here between a man and a woman taking up their cross and Christ and his cross? Well, let me tell you, here when a man and a woman takes up their cross, it is not for your, it is not, not for your salvation. You have no cross to take up unless you have been under the cross of Christ and saved by sovereign grace. The cross of the believer is not for salvation, but sanctification. It's a dying to self, crucifying the old man, crucifying the old woman, crucifying the old life, crucifying the old lifestyle, crucifying and dying to self. I don't know how many places you would or you would not hear this sort of message in a church today in 2018. But you do hear it in CET. And I'll tell you why. Because I want you to do well in God. Everything in the heart of man and woman is corrupt without the Spirit illuminating through the Word. Everything in us, in our flesh, our flesh is dead toward God and thank the Lord he has redeemed us spirit, soul and body and the redemption of the body is coming soon I believe at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen. Amen. you don't have to war or worry about the things of the flesh but this life remember when the pastor was here Pastor Jennings and he gave us the quotation we're training for reigning we're in schooling for ruling. And this is our training. And this life is a training ground for the life that is to come. How we live, how we conduct our lives, our service for Christ, our sanctification from the world, a world that's telling us to be like it, and a church that's telling us to be like the world. But the scriptures tell us the opposite. Tells us, to be sanctified. So there's a spiritual warfare. And I want to ask you a question then. How sharp is your sword? How sharp is your sword? And the devil comes or someone comes against you 
You start to bow, break you because you want to do right before God and live holiness unto the Lord. You want to live right before God. And they come, even church people. How sharp is your sword? How sharp is your sword? Because, listen, the word of God cuts both ways. It's a two-edged sword, isn't that right? So remember, you can't defend and with parry the parry off the sword fencing with the devil or whether he's working and playing through someone else. You cannot do that if your life is wrong. Because it'll cut you to bits first. Does that make sense? So spiritually, the devil comes to Christ. And a spiritual battle takes place in the wilderness. Secondly, secondly, he waits till he's physically exhausted. Now, if you haven't eaten anything or for 40 days, you and I would feel weak, tired, sick, ill, exhausted, all of those things. See, he was a very man. You forget this. He was flesh and blood and bone like you and I. And he was with these wild beasts in the wilderness. Let me just at this point make an interject here and say, the devil is not omnipresent. He's not omnipresent, but evil satanic spirits are everywhere. And the thing about it is, he neither is he omnipotent. He is not the Almighty. There's only one Almighty. His name's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not the Almighty. And here's another thing he's not omniscient, he's not all seeing. So when we say devil, let's put it to wicked spirits. Uh, Notice this. Physically, he comes to the Lord. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, please. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was in hunger. So verse 1, if you want to write in a flyleaf your Bible above your verse, spiritual or spiritually. Verse 2, write physically. Afterward, he was in hunger. So he comes when he's physically weak. Now, I, I would talk to people and they would say to me, maybe they haven't been well and they've been ill for a period of time. They go, Pastor, I just don't feel too great. Even trying to pray and I'm struggling. And I'm, I'm, I'm just in my heart talking to the Lord. And one minute I'm just sleeping. Next thing I'm tired and I'm weary. And listen, that's because you're physically exhausted. It also affects you spiritually. But because you're physically weak, it doesn't mean to say you're spiritually lost. Does that make sense to you? People think because they're so spiritually weak, whether it's a hospital bed and they're sleeping the clock around because they're so weak, or whether they're lying on a, on a settee at home or a bed at home, and they think, well, I'm so weak, uh, I can hardly move, I'm, I'm in pain or whatever. And whenever we're like that, it's so hard to even think about the things of the, of the Spirit, isn't it? Everybody's with me in that, isn't that right? But because you're so physically weak does not negate you from the plan and purpose of God. 
And because you're feeling so tired and physically weak doesn't mean to say you're not saved anymore. You're not saved by your flesh. Not by the will of man, nor of the flesh, but of God. So you're his no matter how physically weak you feel. If you're saved, that is. If you're saved. So you're his, and, and here the devil comes to the Lord Jesus when he is physically weak. It's like, you know, the, the old devil is likened unto a lion. Christ is the lamb of the tribe of Judah. He's the lamb, as it were. But the devil's likened unto a lion. For example, 1 Peter 5 and 8, Peter says, Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And the thing is, there are people who become weak physically, which means they become weak feeling spiritually. And the problem is, a lot of them are in a wilderness experience. People become weak whenever they're not in a, a fellowshipping with other believers. You become weak in your faith. You become weak and, and you're vulnerable. Can I be honest, uh, totally honest with you this morning? Is that okay? Not trying to pinpoint anyone. Not trying to hurt anyone. I'm trying to help. I, for the life of me, don't understand how a Christian gets through with one meeting a week. I'm just being honest. I don't know how you do it. I don't know where the spirituality is with the Lord there. I just don't, I don't get it. If Alice and I go away for a week or a fortnight and we're in a country where there isn't really any church to go to, I'm busting to get back to church. I need to be in fellowship. I need to be under the sound of the word. Billy was away for a week or a fortnight there and he missed me that much. He kept sending me photographs. <laughs> and he, missed, he said he missed the fellowship. I don't get it. And what happens is, if you ever watch a wildlife program, you will see how a lion stalks those on the peripheral edges of the herd he will stalk the weak listen he will stalk the young the young the weak those who are straying those who are set apart in their own and that's what he tries with Christ in the wilderness weak in the flesh tired and weary on his own and he says I'll go get him now and that's what he does with you That's what he does with you. We know going to church doesn't make you a Christian. And going to church doesn't mean you're saved. No church can save you. But because you're saved, you're better being in fellowship and under the word. In a place where we gather together to remember him. And be in a place where the gospel is preached. And where his word, his word is taught. That will help us and strengthen us. He says, I'll go and get him now. And that's what he'll do with you. I'll get her now. Oh, you're weak now. You're not feeling too good. 
you know, you've been out in the wilderness for a wee while there and you haven't been fellowshipping so much with anyone, I'll come and get you now. That's the way he works. And here we find, like a roaring lion, he comes. He comes to the young convert. We have some young converts here this morning. And he comes to the young convert. And he watches them. And he watches them. And, you know, like a, they're trying to walk. And next thing he says, I'm watching. Do they just get to the peripheral edge here? Then I'm going to attack. And because of their, their growing, and, and it's not a condemnation, please don't take it like this, but because they're growing up and not knowing the, the, the word, not able, to, not able to sword fence with the devil, as it were, with the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, they find they come under such an attack that they, they end up being defeated. It's important that you're in the place of worship, the house where the word of God is preached. Untaught. It's so important. You know, we're here tonight, and I have to say, you folks in CET generally are so faithful to the meetings. This is not about getting people out to a meeting. This is about me trying to encourage you on God. Especially in this day and year, uh, uh, age that we live in, where everything is all about bringing the world into the church and bringing, uh, bringing all same-sex marriage now into the church and, uh, and, and bringing all those issues into the church and abortion. And, and there's churches now who are saying, yep, it's okay. There's some woman has now really come out and said, you know what, it's unchristian to ban abortion. And she's a, she's a, a minister. <laughs> minister. And in this day and age, for us here in CET, it's for us, this isn't about hating people. This is about knowing who we are in Christ, who Christ is in us, knowing the word of God that we may sword fence at every time whenever the devil comes against us. I'm going to have to wrap this up soon because time is flowing. Romans 13 and 14, listen, Jesus says, make not provision, or pardon me, Paul says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Don't allow the weakness of your flesh to undermine who you are in Christ. I went to a meeting a couple of years ago, and I have to admit, the Lord spoke to my heart and convicted me, and I had to repent. I went to this meeting one Saturday afternoon, conference meeting, and this wee man came in. He's about that height. He had hardly a bar in the grate. <laughs> he, had, he had more teeth between the gaps than gaps in his teeth. <laughs> he looked like he was wearing, now this wee man was about 70 or so, he looked like he was wearing his daddy's jacket. His sleeves were down to about there. Half worn around the, the elbows. And you tell us a wee bit worse for wear looking, as in, it hadn't been the cleaners in a while. And this wee man got up the priest and he went, My word, what's he doing getting up the priest? Oh boy, was I wrong. God smote my heart. 
And the wee man got up and he preached and he was full of the Spirit. And I was, wow. You know what this wee man does? He's in England. He goes down to the dark lands of Liverpool and he preaches to the prostitutes as they're all standing in a line and he's seen them getting saved one after another on his own and I had to God forgive me you see it's not in our flesh the flesh is nothing Jesus says the flesh profiteth nothing and it cannot be even whether we love the praise and we love the worship and we love to sing and we love all of that but it must be centered on Christ because if it becomes something that you and I want to bring in as an emotional experience that's happening and become like the world then brothers and sisters we have lost it and we have lost it now don't get me wrong like the old Puritan says God does not do away with our emotions but he takes them up and uses them I understand that but do not make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof do you remember the old song and it says the arm of flesh will fail you you dare not trust your own you know there, there, we could have a John the Baptist walk in these doors in the form of that wee man and some of us go, sure, what would he be up to? Looking at him in the flesh, weak, he looked weak, he looked weary and tired, he looked dirty, to be honest, hardly a tooth in his mouth. But he got up and he was full of God. And I was so, so sorry I even thought that. Job 23. Here's, here's, here's something about dying to self. Dying to self. I have esteemed, 23 and verse 12, Job 23 and verse 12, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Do you know at times, you know, we come in here and, and our friends from the States, you'll, you'll find us out maybe even. But when we come in and people might say, what time do you close up when we visit because maybe someone are going to pick them up and I say. <laughs> if you have to, have to go, you just go on if that's what you got to do. But you know, there's people and I've, oh, it doesn't matter. I have pastored in places where people said, <laughs> Do you know my dinner's in the oven? My roast is in the oven? Rand's killing himself there. <laughs> my dinner's in the oven. More worried about, and listen, and the Spirit's moving in the church, and God's speaking to hearts. And people are even, there's times when people are sitting with tears running down their face because God has been dealing with them and speaking to them. And, and, and some old dolls are sitting like this here. <laughs> I didn't mention you, I didn't look at you. I did not look at you. I did not. Look. Well, this was an old dolls at the time, wasn't it? Thankfully, it doesn't happen here because these are well used to this. But these old dolls, we used to go, I have a roast in the oven. <laughs> and I got it at the door on the way out, too. 
My dinner will be burnt. And I says, well, you'll get burnt offerings today then. <laughs> Send it up to God. <laughs> Worried about the belly rather than the spirit. Worried about the belly rather than the spirit. Job says, after everything that happened to him, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So I'll finish with that point. And when I come back, God willing, God willing, when I come back, the next point will be, we'll look at mental warfare. The mental warfare. Because there's a mental warfare that goes on every day in the believer. And it's in the mind, battles are fought and won. Or battles are fought and lost. And it's in the mind of the believer where the very treaty paper is signed when we just totally give up and give ourselves over to whoever. Whether it be the Lord whether it's God and his word or whether it be to the devil and the things of the word. God willing, we'll look at it whenever we come back again. I would love to have been doing it. I'll be honest, whenever I go away, I'm always nervous. Not nervous, but I just like being in my own place, my own church. I like being with my own people. Nothing wrong with the Americans, by the way. What I mean is, I said to them, I feel like I'm a I'm, a, I'm an adopted American of so many friends over there. But I miss being in here because it's in here. We know who we are. We know we can preach things that you're not going to be in another church maybe hearing at times either. And we know that it doesn't matter if you have a, a roast in the oven or not. The old dolls won't be getting at me. They don't care. <laughs> or the old lads either correct or you know so listen God bless you no matter how weak you feel your salvation does not rest on the strength of your flesh do you hear that it does not rest on the strength of your flesh but on what Christ has done in Calvary no matter how spiritually weak you feel at times your salvation does not rest on your spirituality but on what Christ has done at Calvary and accomplished there for us. And so, God willing, we'll look at it mentally, the attack on Christ mentally, whenever I come back.